Good morning. Good morning. Hey, welcome to Firewheel. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, if you guys don't mind, just uh, stand and uh, sing with us this morning. There is none beside 
For my 
job singing out there. Good to hear your voices this morning. Great. 
notes, take out a sheet of paper. It's time for a pop quiz. Those words struck fear into my heart every time I would hear them. Whether I was in grade school, high school, or, or, or college, whenever I heard a teacher say, it's time for a pop quiz, I always wished I had been listening to whatever they were saying before they said that. Because I have a laser beam focus once they say it's time for a pop quiz. Pop quizzes have that, that sort of way of focusing our attention. They come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in the midst of a test. We're going to look at, a, at the apostles having to deal with a pop quiz in their life. And particularly, we're going to focus on Peter. And what I want you to see as we look at this is while Peter's pop quiz was unique to Peter, we all experience pop quizzes of our faith. Whether it's a pop quiz that shows up in the context of a relationship, maybe it shows up in the context of a job, maybe it shows up in the context of school, we all have these times in our life when it feels like it's time for a test. And with our, with, our, with our walk of faith, sometimes we can see them coming, like an end-of-the-year exam, but other times we wake up one day and there they are. We're going to camp in Mark chapter 14 today. Uh, we're going to look at how, how Peter and, and the apostles dealt with a pop quiz of their faith. We're going to look at how they handled it, and then we're going to go back to the—then we'll also look at what they could have done to be a little bit more prepared. The first thing that you got to figure out when you hear that you're going to be taking a pop quiz is, what's the subject on? And boy, oh boy, do I hope I know a little bit of something about that subject. Uh, while we're going to spend most of our time today in Mark chapter 14, to get the subject of today's quiz— we have to go all the way back to Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Now, these are actually Jesus' first words to his apostles, his followers. The first thing that he tells his followers is, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you guys fishers of men. That's the topic of the pop quiz that Peter has to take. It's not just Peter, it's all of the apostles. Is it, will they follow Jesus? Now, between Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 14, the, the apostles have spent three years with Jesus, following Jesus, learning from Jesus, being taught and instructed by Jesus. And we're going to start at verse 43. But it's just a little bit of context. Uh, Jesus knows what's right around the corner. Jesus knows that he's about to get arrested. He's about to get arrested. He's going to be uh, tried, falsely accused, and eventually crucified. Uh, Jesus, because he's sovereign, he knows that that's about to happen. But the apostles have no clue. Uh, verse 43. And immediately, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, so Judas is his betrayer. Judas is the guy that sold Jesus out for, for a few dollars. Uh, he, and he showed the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, the guys that wanted to crucify Jesus. He's brought them to Jesus. And so 
Mark uses this word immediately. I'm from South Louisiana. Okay? In South Louisiana, every couple of years, we get these things called hurricanes. This is what a hurricane is. You guys know what hurricanes are. I know that. There's these huge storms. Here's the thing I like about hurricanes. You know they're coming. You can choose whether or not you're going to pay attention. You can choose whether or not you're going to respond to it, but you know they're coming. You see it form out in the Atlantic. You watch it cross over the Florida panhandles. You see it hanging out in the Gulf, and they start saying, well, it might come our way. And then, you know, three days out there, like, it's probably going to come our way. And then two days out there, like, it's definitely going to hit Louisiana. And then one day out, uh, it may still be sunny. Maybe a beautiful day. But you know, within 24 hours, this storm is going to hit. When my wife and I moved to Rowlett, it was a couple of months before a tornado hit Rowlett. See, now I don't like tornadoes. I do not like tornadoes. I like hurricanes because I can see it coming. I can prepare when the sun is out. I can go get my supplies. I can decide, do I want to evacuate or not? With a tornado... Guys, I was out for a jog about an hour before the tornado. Everything was fine. My life was about like it was supposed to be. And then all of a sudden, these sirens start going off. Weather alarms on the phone start going off. Power starts going out. And the next thing you know, uh, absolute total destruction. That's what Mark is communicating when he says, immediately. He's not talking. For Jesus, Jesus knew it was a hurricane. Jesus saw it coming in his sovereignty. For the apostles, it was just another night with Jesus. Just another night with Jesus and him teaching us these weird things that, you know, about his kingdom. And then all of a sudden, here's people to arrest Jesus. And so almost instinctively, uh, Peter draws out a sword and starts slicing and dicing. This is not what Jesus wanted. Jesus needed to go to the cross. Peter wanted to act when he didn't need to act. He wanted to do when Jesus didn't want him to do anything but follow him. Immediately, 11 of the 12 fail. Uh, We don't have time to look at every single verse in Mark chapter 14, but I hope that I can give you a framework uh, for you to study it in a little bit more depth this week in your own private studies. Uh, there's so much in this chapter that ministers so deeply. But I want you to jump down to verse 50. And they all left him and fled. People show up to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out a sword, tries to cut somebody's ear off. Jesus says, put that thing away. That's not what I'm about. And then all of a sudden, They all leave and flee. Mark uses two words. The first word, leave, is a translation of a Greek word that means to create distance. To create distance. The second word, flee, that's not really a running away word so much as it's a safety word. To leave is to create distance. To flee is to create a safety barrier. They were using distance as a safety barrier barrier continue reading and uh if you don't find some of this stuff funny uh you don't have your funny bones broken Uh, and a young man followed him 
with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Okay? If that doesn't put a smirk on your face, you got a problem. I can't help you with it. Uh, but but Mark, Mark doesn't just want us to know that the apostles left and fleed. He includes this story. We don't even know who this is. All of the commentators have a theory. Here's my theory. If Mark wanted us to know who it was, he'd have told us. What he wants us to know is that somebody of the, of the 12 is running away naked. They had, when they showed up, they had time to put the bathrobe on, uh, and then the guards were like grabbing him, and he was like, no, and he wiggled out, and all of a sudden there was nothing, and he was naked, and so he ran. To be naked in any culture conveys a sense of shame. It's especially in this culture, for a man to be in public naked would have been shameful. Mark wants us to know that the disciples are not only fleeing, but they are fleeing in shame. In fact, this, this idea of nudity, it's actually transcultural. It's one of the most popular uh, repeated nightmares that people have is they find themselves in a public place with no clothes on. It's a fear that a lot of people have. They don't just flee. They flee in shame. This isn't just Peter. This is all of the followers of Jesus. They are failing the pop quiz. The pop quiz, the topic is, will you follow Jesus? To a person, they all flee. One of them's naked. But then there's this ray of hope. Peter looked like he might pass. He looked like he might pass. Let's keep reading. And they led Jesus to the high priest, uh, they being the guards, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Here it is. Little ray of hope. But Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Ah, Peter. Peter gets it right? Peter is willing to follow Jesus. Not just to follow Jesus, but follow Jesus into the lion's den. Uh, he follows Jesus into the courts. He's standing next to the guards. One of them probably had bloodstains on his shirt from the whole ear chopping thing a little bit earlier. Peter was willing to follow, but Mark wants us to know that Peter's not just following. He includes a very important word. He follows at a distance. It's one thing to walk into a lion's den. It's something different to walk into a lion's den at a zoo where there's a cage between you and the lion. You can get real close to the lion and still be very safe. And again, this word carries with it a safety connotation. He followed from a distance. He kept a, a safe distance. And so he's doing the actions of following. He looks like he's being a follower of Jesus. Jesus is going in this direction. Peter is going in this direction. But he's not really following. What he's really doing is more like just mimicking from a safe distance. Because we're going to see now that Peter fails the quiz miserably. Uh, jump down to verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, 
one of, us, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were, you were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. I sometimes will tell my wife that when she reminds me of something that she's told me to do. I neither know nor understand what you mean. This isn't simply saying, oh, I don't know. He's not just simply saying no. He's creating a lie. He's lying. And incidentally, in his culture, men uh, did not have to respond to slaves or servants. Men did not have to respond to women. So when a woman servant comes up to him and asks him a question, he is not even obliged to recognize her. It would be like if I, as I'm preaching right now, if a three-year-old walked up to me and said, hey, Pastor Eddie, can I talk to you about something? Uh, I, I, might, I might say, I might go like that, but I'm not going to engage them in a conversation, and you are going to understand why I'm not engaging them in a conversation. I'm not obliged to have a conversation with a three-year-old in this sort of context. Peter didn't even have to answer her, but instead of just ignoring her, he creates a lie. He says, I don't know. I need to know what you're talking about. I don't even understand why you would even ask this question. He just failed the quiz. But Jesus, in his mercy, lets him take another one. And the servant girl saw him again, picking up in verse uh, 69. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. This is one of them. But again, he denied it. He failed the makeup pop quiz. So he failed the quiz. Then he fails the makeup test. Now he's about to fail the makeup for the makeup. Let's continue. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Paying a tremendous compliment to Peter. Because if following Jesus means anything, it means we should look like Jesus. We should remind others of Jesus. And what the, what the bystanders are saying is, Peter, you look like him. You act like him. You talk like him. You kind of remind us of him. That's an incredibly high compliment for Peter. He lies again. Verse 71, but he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Uh, don't, don't try to tame what the Bible says. When it says he's cursing and he's swearing, he's cursing and he's swearing. I'm not going to use those words up here because this isn't a context for it, but that's what he's doing. He's cursing and he's swearing, and he says, I don't know this man of whom you speak. Why would he curse? Why would he swear? simple because Jesus didn't talk that way and they're saying to Peter Peter you remind us of Jesus you look like a follower of Jesus and so he says bleep 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 Jesus doesn't talk like that I don't know who he is that's what Peter's doing and he's not simply doing that uh, because he doesn't know Jesus we know that's a lie He's doing that to create distance. 
So you can create physical distance to create safety, but you can also stay pretty close and create distance in other ways, and that's what Peter's doing. Peter is saying, I can't possibly be a follower of Jesus. Look at the way I'm talking. That's not how Jesus talks. That's not how someone that's hung out with Jesus for three years is going to talk. And we do the same thing. See, my guess is none of you this week have point blank said, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know, maybe you have, and if you have, there's, there's hope for you. Stick with me. But if you haven't point blank said, I don't know who Jesus is, have you acted in a way that Jesus would not have acted in order to create a barrier of safety for yourself? Let me give you an illustration. Uh, in my own relationship with my wife, uh, I know this won't come as a surprise to you, but I'm not a perfect husband. A couple of people laugh. They're in my life group, so they, they really know. Uh, I'm not a perfect husband. And sometimes I mess up. And sometimes when I mess up, it is so easy for me to just say a little white lie. Maybe I'm not even lying. Maybe I'm just not actively telling the truth. Okay? That's not really a lie, right? It's just, I'm, I'm not, you husbands, y'all are all smiling. Don't move. I know, I know we're all on the same page. I don't want to get you in trouble. Okay? Uh, when I choose to not act, when I should act, that's me saying, I don't want to act the way that Jesus wants me to act right now because I don't trust Jesus enough to get me through this. I'd rather take things into my own hands and create this safety barrier. And I'll create this safety barrier with this little white lie. We deny Jesus when we act in a way that Jesus wouldn't act. When we talk in a way that Jesus wouldn't talk. When we do things that we know Jesus wouldn't do. Those are all implicit denials. Peter failed the quiz, the makeup quiz, and the makeup for the makeup quiz because he forgot what Jesus had taught him. And Jesus is merciful. And Jesus had just taught him these things. In fact, go back to the beginning of chapter 14. We've looked at the failure. Now we're going to go back to the lesson right before the failure, the lesson that if Peter and the apostles would have been paying attention to, if they would have caught this information, they would have been prepared to pass the pop quiz on their face. They failed because they forgot first that following Jesus can be costly. Now again, we're only going to have time to survey uh, chapter 14. I really hope you'll spend some time this week digging into this. Uh, the first section in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 11, essentially tells the story of this woman who comes with an alabaster flask of incredibly expensive uh, perfume and anoints Jesus with it. The, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they look at him and, and, and they think, gosh, we could have sold that. We could have sold that for like $40,000. What an egregious waste of resources. And Jesus corrects them. Jesus says, no, no, no. What this woman did, she did the right thing. Again, Jesus knows what's about to happen. 
This is his, his burial anointing, essentially. And, and Jesus is, is trying to implicitly communicate to the disciples that following Jesus can be costly. It can be costly. Uh, the next part, verses 10, uh, 10 and 11, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12, one of the 12 that had been following, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. It would cost Jesus his life. He said, if, you, if we're going to follow a Savior who laid down his life, a, a costly sacrifice, if we're, gonna, if, we, if we're gonna follow a God who loves us enough to sacrifice his own son, we shouldn't be surprised when in following him, we ourselves have to make some sacrifices. Following Jesus can be costly. Not only that, but following Jesus can seem crazy. This is another one of those sections where if you don't put a little smirk on your face, your funny bone's broken. Uh, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, one day, that's the 12, uh, sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, uh, where will you have us go and prepare to eat the Passover? Where are we going to have the Passover? Simple enough question. You would expect a simple enough answer, but that is not what you find at all. Jesus essentially tells them, listen, go into town. You'll find a guy holding a bottle of water. Now, in this culture, women carried the water. So first off, he's saying, go look for something that's very hard to find. There's not very many of them. You're going to see a guy holding a pitcher full of water. When you see him, follow him around until he goes into a house. When he goes into that house, go into it with him, find out who owns the house, talk to the owner of the house, and tell them the teacher has some need, uh, and this guy is going to randomly say, ah, yes, upstairs, it's prepared, ready, and waiting. This would be like if I, you know, I like eating turkey on Thanksgiving. If I needed to get a turkey on Thanksgiving, and I, I, said, to, I said to my friend Ben, Ben, we need to go get a turkey for Thanksgiving. Here's how I want you to do it. Here's how I want you. Go to Firewheel Mall and just stand in the parking lot until you see somebody walking around with a cup of water. When they're walking around with that cup of water, start following them. They won't think you're weird. Follow them all the way to their house. Walk into their house with them. Again, they won't think you're weird. When you get into that house, find out who owns the house and tell them Eddie needs a turkey, and he's going to tell you it's cooked upstairs, ready, and waiting. Okay? Jesus is calling the shots in a big-time way here. Verse 16. And the disciples set out, went into the city, and found it just as he had told them. Jesus makes this crazy prediction. And they go, and it's just like Jesus said. Just like Jesus said. Now, if I was actually able to acquire a turkey in that way, it would be an amazing thing. And whatever else you, you thought about me, you would have to think, well, Eddie kind of has some idea of what's going on with turkeys okay the disciples should have realized you know forget about the three years experience that they had leading up to this point the disciples should have realized you can trust jesus's word you can trust what the words of jesus are when jesus says something is going to be it's going to be 
Jesus is going to go on to say one of them is going to betray him. That was Judas. Following Jesus, you, you fa sometimes they failed because they forgot that Jesus is the only reason that they could follow Jesus in the first place. I want to slow down and read this one verse by verse because this is important this is the institution of the lord's supper verse 22 and they were eating and he took the bread and blessing it he broke it and gave it to them and said take this is my body and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank and he said to them this is the my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not eat again and I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink in the new kingdom of God. That was a promise that Jesus made to his followers. And if you're a follower today, that promise is valid for you. Jesus is coming back. Maybe you failed this week. Maybe this week's been a great week. Maybe this week's been a tough week. One way or the other, a guy who can call the shots like he just did for this Passover, when he is that good, when his words are that dependable, what he says you can trust. When he speaks, you can trust what he says. And he instituted a covenant. Covenants are hard for us to understand because we don't do covenants. We have legal contracts. That's pretty much how we operate in this culture. The closest thing to a covenant that we have is a last will. Now, in a last will, it's a cognizant decision that you make while you're alive as to what you want to happen with your assets when you pass. And so you say, when I pass, I want this son to get this tract of land, and I want this daughter to get this family heirloom. The son and the daughter had absolutely no part in that decision. They play absolutely no part in it. Maybe they might, would have expressed what they wanted or not, but that's irrelevant. When you, when you draw up a will, it is a decision that you make. This is what you are going to do when you die. A covenant. When Jesus makes a covenant with us, he says, this is what I am going to do for you. You don't do anything other than exist. When, when someone passes away, if you're in that will, you will get what they said you will get. You don't do anything to warrant or to merit or to earn or to keep this new covenant. The only reason you are following Jesus is because Jesus stepped into your life and said, follow me. The only reason we have a relationship is because he chose to have a relationship with us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. Uh, if it was based on us, we couldn't keep it. Lastly, Jesus knew that they were going to fail. See, this really wasn't a pop quiz. I mean, kind of set that up the wrong way. I, I, I pointed this out like it was a tornado, like it just showed up in their lives. And to, for the disciples' experience, that's really how it was. 
because uh, they were just completely oblivious to what was going on. But if they would have been listening to the words of Jesus, this guy whose words can be absolutely trusted told them, uh, verse 27, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter said, nah, no way. Even if everybody else falls, I will never fall. What do you do with that? What do you do with a guy who you can absolutely positively trust his words when he tells you you are going to fail? You don't respond with, no, I'm not. That's insanity. This is why Peter responds that way. Following Jesus is impossible. Following Jesus is impossible without help. There's one section of Scripture that stands in between the pop quiz and where we're at right now. And that is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is heavily burdened. He goes into the Garden with this incredible burden. Uh, he, he, he literally says, God, Father, if there is any way for us to redeem this world, if there is any way for us to redeem to reconstitute this relationship that you and I and the Holy Spirit have with humanity. If there is a plan B, I want to go plan B. But if plan A is the only plan that there is, Jesus said he's willing to go plan A for us. He's heavily burdened, and he's asked three of his closest disciples, Peter's one of them, to come with him and to pray with him and they keep falling asleep they keep falling asleep and jesus says god wake up wake up pray with me look at verse 38 watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation see there's a play on words here jesus isn't simply saying wake up Physically, he is saying wake up physically. Physically, they were asleep. But he's also saying wake up spiritually. You don't have what it takes to, not, to, to get through temptation apart from Jesus. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You have what it takes to pass the pop quiz of faith when you're walking with the spirit. When you try to do this on your own, you don't have what it takes to follow Jesus. You will fall away. You will do just like Peter. Uh, it may not be overnight. It may not be instantly. But you will first start to follow from a distance. And you'll create more and more safety. Because when you're not trusting in the Holy Spirit, you're trusting in yourself. And when you're trusting in yourself, it really does make sense to say those little white lies sometimes. Those little things. The, those little implicit denials. Not, we're not necessarily just limited to what Peter says when Peter says, I don't know who the darn guy is. It, it goes deeper than that. When we live our life in a way that implicitly we choose darkness instead of light, that's an implicit denial. When we choose, as followers of Jesus, who are supposed to be mimicking Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, because we trust Him, because we have this relationship with Him, because He loved us enough to sacrifice His Son so that we could have that relationship. 
It's supposed to be costly. It cost him his life. And we choose to not look like him. That's an implicit denial. And when we live in our flesh, that's really our only option. See, the only reason Jesus was able to do what Jesus did is because he was God. And the only reason you're going to be able to follow God is because you have God in you. Uh, the scriptures teach us that, we, that the Holy Spirit is in us. Now, that doesn't mean if you cut me open, you'll find the Holy Spirit right next to my liver. What that means is, is we have the closest possible imaginable relationship with God. We can't get any closer to God than we already are. And if we will just walk with him, we will pass the exams of faith. This leads me to my applications. Follow Jesus. It's really that simple. Follow Jesus. First off, uh, this is kind of a mindset change. Uh, accept that it's supposed to be costly and crazy. We're following a guy who sacrificed his life so that we could have, our li have life. We believe that we have an eternal relationship with a God who loves us because he died on a cross 2,000 years ago. That's a little crazy. If we're just honest, that's a little crazy. Following him is supposed to be costly. It's supposed to be crazy. You see, sometimes I make this error in my, own, in my own life with my family and my kids. You know, I, I, think, I think, I expect the check engine light to never come on in my truck. I expect the relationship that I have with my, my wonderful wife to always be wonderful. I expect that my kids are always going to listen to me. I expect that life is supposed to go well always, but it doesn't. It's not supposed to. We live in a fallen world. We're following a Savior who sacrificed his life. Being a follower of Jesus is supposed to be costly. It's supposed to be a little bit crazy. That's why we live by faith. Second application. Follow Jesus by celebrating the Lord's table. Now, we, we, ideally, this would be done in the context of a church. That would be the ideal. But for logistical reasons, because some other things are going on right now, we haven't been able to do that lately here at Firewell. But there's no reason why you can't either individually or with your family celebrate. There is a reason that Jesus said, take this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Why did he tell them they need to remember it? Because we're forgetful people. We do this. It's supposed to be done regularly to remind us. It's a physical reminder. Jesus, body broken for me. Jesus, blood spilled for me. I have a relationship with God. Doing the Lord's doing that is a is a tacit reminder. And you can do that with your family. It, it doesn't have to be wine. It doesn't have to be grape juice. It's just it's, it's something that you do. It could be saltine crackers and apple juice. It's something that you do to physically remember Jesus broke his body for you. Jesus spilled his blood for you. 
Jesus instituted a covenant for you. He is, he did all the work. You don't have to do anything. Lastly, follow Jesus by admitting your failures and asking for help. See, we talked about how sometimes failing to follow doesn't look like us just saying, oh, I don't know who Jesus is. Sometimes it just looks like us telling a little white lie. Sometimes it looks like us just bending the truth a little bit. We know that's not what Jesus would do. We know that's not the way of the light. That's the way of the darkness. If, I've, if as I've been speaking this morning, if something like that's come to your mind, let me challenge you. Admit it. Confess it. Bring it to the light. I know it's scary. I know it may seem dangerous. I know you may not know how that other person is going to respond. But let me tell you something. If you're worried about how that other person is going to respond, you're trying to create safety. You're not following Jesus. You're following Jesus. Jesus has already instituted the covenant. He's already said all of the work is already done. He's, he says you already have the closest possible imaginable relationship with God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to keep it. Follow Jesus by admitting your failure and asking for help. And that's where we're going to stop off today. The last verse of this chapter. Peter realizes, oh my goodness, I just failed. I just failed my Savior. And he wept. He became aware of his sin and he didn't try to hide it. He wept. He mourned it. He let it break him. And next week, we're going to look at the last chapter of John. And we're going to see how Jesus restores Peter. But what you need to remember is Jesus was just reminding Peter that he was already restored. Peter was already restored here. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail before he failed. Jesus knows we're going to fail our, the pop quizzes of our faith before we ever take them. And he still said to you, follow me. He still wants you to follow him. He still wants you to be his representative to this world. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, compelling Mark to write this down. That we know how big of a failure Peter is. Lord, it is such an encouragement to me because if I am honest, I fail big time. I know we all fail sometimes. Lord, we're not perfect people. And Lord, sometimes we believe the lie that the enemy tells us that, that following you means we should be perfect. Lord, I'm so grateful that you, you have provided a way for us to have a relationship with you. I'm so grateful that you have done this despite my past sins and even despite my future sins that I don't even know are going to happen. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to confess our sins and to trust you, to, 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 to follow you even if it is costly because it's supposed to be. Lord, I pray for those individuals and those families that decide to practice the Lord's table sometime today or in the next few days. Lord, I pray that you would bless that. We thank you for this day. We thank you for each other. 
In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, it is time to go into the world in peace. But I don't have my glasses, and I can't read this thing. So you guys know it. We're going to jump all the way down to the end that I do know. You are loved. Now go tell someone else that they are too. Blessings. Blessings.